Welcome to another edition of Exhale, brought to you by Vitalograph, a podcast series where we discuss topical information about spirometry and respiratory care. I'm your host, Mark Russell, Marketing Communications Manager for Vitalograph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. I am continuing our podcast series with more current pandemic information. We will dive into the effects across the country and get an update of what's happening on the East Coast and how a full-service dealer is coping with COVID-19. Today's guest is Amanda Clark, president of Carolina Diagnostic Solutions in Columbia, South Carolina. She is a corporate partner and has been a full-service dealer with Vitalograph since 2014. Let's just jump right into it. Can you tell us what are the challenges your company has experienced in the new COVID-19 era? Like a lot of small businesses, we have had a a tremendous change in our daily routines and our workflows. I would say that, you know, a lot of physician practices and hospitals that we call on, we've been denied access essentially to physical contact with providers and technicians. But, you know, pulling in some of the technology that's available using Zoom, which we all have had excessive use of, emails and phone calls, having those conversations with our clients is not not necessarily challenging. It just changed the manner and the time frame in which does happen. It is. I, I think that I found that people are a little bit more accessible as compared to, uh, you know, live meetings and, and possible appointments that you have down the line. I know that what we're trying to do here is this series of podcasts is talk about, you know, we started out with a, uh, a NIOSH trainer and talked about before the COVID era, uh, what a NIOSH was all about. And then we had an interview with a uh, allergist here locally here in Kansas City to talk about what he was doing at the start of COVID-19 era and then um, processed through. And we had Mike Hess, who's a respiratory therapist and uh, what he was been doing. So bringing you on board as a full service dealer, it really gives you another insight of what's going on and how your uh, company has changed. So has your routines changed basically? I mean, uh, when it comes to uh, your customers kind of alluded to lots of emails and phone calls and Zoom calls type situation. Can you give us an idea of what your routine has been? So our typical routine for my uh, my clinical and my sales team is to be out and about having conversations with clinicians about diagnostics, how to advance that, and really just improve quality of care. Some of the things that we, we really strive to do is to support our existing clients and to educate folks that are new to spirometry. In 2019, our territory grew, and and then again in February of this year, our territory grew to encompass four states. To be able to support that customer base logistically with a small team of of six, we we use some tools uh, to be able to remote into our clients' computers to deliver updates. It's also helpful for uh, times that buttons become unclicked, which happens often to reset and adjust settings. And then, you know, just to help from a clinical standpoint, clinicians will come to us and then they'll ask, well, why, why does your software say this? And I had the patient do this and how do I fix this? And they can send us the tracings. And what we can do is we can talk them through how to correct technique or to uh, give them coaching advice to, to redirect their patient to really get the best spirometry quality possible. Sure. And has your customers been adapting to that? They have. In fact, we're very upfront and open with our customers. One of the things that differentiates us from 
other competitors in the marketplace, we disclose to our clients up front the type of relationship and the type of business that we do. We're here not just to sell you something, but as a full service dealer, we're here to walk the road with you. We have clinical staff as well as sales staff. And so we understand a little more intimately than some of the other folks in the market, really how to, to best support you. An example of that support would be just working with a clinic, looking at their workflow numbers, to helping them out with some volume tier pricing. What a lot of our customers are actually enrolled in the auto ship process, and so they know that supplies that are critical to continuing their business and earning their revenue and serving their patients will not fall flat despite interruptions in the market, especially during COVID. And the other thing that we do is just from the beginning, we set our clients up with our remote software. It doesn't leave a footprint, so the IT folks are typically happy with us. But when someone gets stuck, it's as simple as calling and speaking to someone in our office. We'll give you a five-digit code, and that allows us to hop in and really walk you through whatever's got you stumped. As a lot of your customers, were they shut down early on in the COVID-19 pandemic, and and did they rely on you for questions on what they should do to prepare to open their clinic? A lot of our customers, hospital-based folks versus physician practices and even privately owned physician practices, really met this challenge with a different approach. I will say that a lot of the university hospitals and large medical systems, those pulmonary labs almost completely shut down. Uh, yeah, they did a little bit of critical testing uh, for folks that needed transplants and, and chemo and some urgent uh, testing needs, but the majority of their diagnostic outpatient services really came to a screeching halt. Now, on the contrasting side, you know, we work with a lot of uh, privately owned practices, and I will tell you honestly that those guys were probably the most proactive. They really took great measure to continue to keep going. If they can't see patients and they can't do testing, then they don't earn revenue and they can't keep their folks employed. And so, Yes, they did actually rely on us, and they came to us and asked us, you know, Amita, what can we do? We're told that PFT is a high aerosol-generating procedure, and, and we really just want to be smart and safe about this. So basically, you know, when they did open back up, what was the biggest question on testing and such that they were concerned about? Of course, the proper attire and, and spacing out those appointments, but what were some of the other things that they asked you about before they opened up their clinic? Yeah, you're right. They did ask a lot of questions. You know, respiratory care in general is considered a high aerosol generating field. Most therapists are are told that from day one that you'll be exposed to airborne particles and instructed on how to wear PPE appropriately. Another thing that we're, we're really focused on is protecting our patients with a bacterial viral filter, whether that be through a ventilator, a non-invasive ventilator, through a filtered on a nebulizer to protect folks giving treatments, but then also really to look at protecting that flow head. And I think that you touched on a number of things. All of those questions were asked of me. How long do I have to wait? Do I have to have a certain ventilation system? In fact, I had one customer who was, it was so funny to me. They told me, they said, well, Maida, we didn't stop doing PFTs. We put our body box in a room, like we added onto the back end of a clinic and almost like a little shed. 
<laughs> we lead you out to the shed to do your BFD. But we have a negative pressure system there and we have things in place that we can't put in our actual office. And so that was a quick answer to, to be able to continue uh, moving forward. The, the guidelines continue to move. And as we learn more about the virus, more questions begin to be asked. And so it just depends on who you are, where you are, and what your exposure to active virus is in your community. But the most frequent question that we get asked is about the bacteria viral filter. How do I protect and keep particles concentrated? Sure. What are your thoughts of the independent study that was done from Biotelegraph? Hopefully that even educates them even more about the uh, 99.999 effect on filtering out any type of viral contamination. So we sent that information out to our existing customers in a big email blast. When we bring new customers on, we're very diligent to provide this information and ask them to forward that on to their infection control department. It's important that this is documented so that they know that they're providing safe care. So I love the fact that Vitalograph was proactive. The name implies bacteria viral filter. No one else in the market has that. Everybody just calls it a bacterial filter. The other thing that I love is that Vitalograph had the forethought to do this study. It was an independently run study, and it was done long before COVID ever happened. And so one of the things that I can really talk up is the fact that they're proactive. That really goes to their core of their business model and who they are. So, you know, we're on our seventh month of the pandemic, and have you ran across uh, some patients that have been exposed to COVID-19, and how's their recovery efforts, and, you know, is it lingering? You know, what are the effects that you're seeing after patients have recovered? So some of the lingering effects that I've seen in some of my close friends and family are really shortness of breath and cough, productive cough. Uh, for instance, one of my good friends, a young lady who is a RN, uh, she contracted COVID at work. Although she was wearing the appropriate PPE, um, sometimes it can't be helped. And, uh, and so she's had a couple of bouts and you're just watching her going through social media and just kind of following her story. In round one, she never tested positive. But she was very, very classic, lost taste and coughing, high fevers, shortness of breath with any kind of exertion. In round two, she was positive for COVID, but she's, you know, she's a young, young lady, very healthy, very physically active, no underlying conditions. And she does have a productive cough, intermittent fevers, and she does have just random bouts of shortness of breath, which is really hard to understand. And so, you know, I'm going to take you to another example. I read an article, and I believe it was in the Washington Post um, a, a couple of days ago. It was about a young man who worked in a large metropolitan hospital. He was an MRI tech, and I believe he also contracted COVID, likely in the workplace. But this young man became very, very critically ill, mechanically ventilated. And fast forward, he was, you know, he's seeing his physicians. They're really trying to figure out what's going on with these folks. The reason that this particular young man's story sticks in my head is because in the article, he was sitting in a body box. They took his picture um, while he was doing his PFT. It's perplexing that he has productive cough, intermittent bouts of shortness of breath with any kind of exertion, but his pulmonary function looks relatively normal. However, you know, we don't have a baseline on either one of these folks. And so, you know, there are a number of issues and concerns right now. I think the literature is calling most of these patients COVID long haulers. They probably some sort of syndrome. Um, They likely will develop into a group of patients that we're going to follow for years to come. 
So these patients will likely have scar tissue, and scar tissue within the lungs often leads to restrictive lung disease. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I, I really think you're right. And it, it's interesting, uh, you know, as this pandemic continues, that there is, you know, affects people totally different. And they're finding out new things every day because we don't know anything about this virus and how it affects everybody. It doesn't seem to affect everybody the same like we've had in the past. And so it's interesting. So something else that has been around for a while is telehealth. And now that we're in this pandemic, it seems to be thrown into the front seat of everybody's ways of possibly uh, checking on patients. And basically, uh, it's an opportunity for us to uh, make sure that patients remotely can be taken care of. And what's your thoughts about telehealth and how does it affect your business? So I'm really excited about telehealth. We've needed this kind of intervention and reform in healthcare for so many years. And really, I'm very pleased, politics aside, to see that the current administration has has just basically flung open the doors really to let the general public have access to healthcare. Using telehealth platforms sometimes it's very, very costly for primary care providers, private physicians. It's almost cost prohibitive. And so to to really open the door and use FaceTime and um, and Zoom and some of these things, these platforms that the general public is familiar with and um, knowledgeable about, I think is just really pivotal. And and so that brings me to my next point. Uh, You know, telehealth is really very large here in in the state of South Carolina. We have the, the South Carolina Telehealth Alliance, which is housed and administered from the Medical University in Charleston. And I've watched a number of my colleagues from there just struggle with legislative issues and to be able to have infrastructure in the, for the general public. Broadband is an, is an issue and access to that. And we know that access to health care really changes the disparities in different areas are affected by lack of access. And so I'm really very excited to see that. Those are some of kind of just some of my personal thoughts on telehealth. With regards to how it affects my business, we've actually been doing quite well. Remote monitoring and understanding how to manage chronic disease is very difficult. And so one of the things that my company has been working on is a remote monitoring platform. I'm not going to say too much about it today, but um, I I know that that's the next step with regards to telemedicine. And I I really feel like if nothing else, the year of 2020 is going to be known for a couple of things in healthcare. One, it's going to be known as the turning point at which we actually moved into the future and the fact that respiratory therapists are actually a known clinician. I think those things are so incredibly important, not only as we do spirometry and diagnostic testing, but we need to have those pieces in place so that we can manage these patients appropriately from a distance. No, I agree with you. And this summer I did the same thing. I had my first telehealth visit with a physician and it was, you know, it was on a weekend, which was awesome and took about 15, 20 minutes. And my own insurance, I, I've mentioned this on the show before, had even dropped the copay to get people enticed into uh, using telehealth. And it was simple, fast and easy and probably going to use it again in the future because, uh, you know, we have our busy days and it's going to get busier when things open up. And, you know, rather than driving to a location, talk to a doctor online is definitely a convenience for everybody. So how's your customers reacting to the fact that Vitalograph has come out this year for all their products, mainly spirometers, with a five-year warranty? What's their reactions? So that's an interesting question. 
It's kind of a loaded question. I will tell you that this year has been really weird and we haven't been able to go out and visit with clientele and meet new folks at meetings. So it's a little bit difficult to say. However, I will say that some of our clients that have replaced equipment that were on just a standard replacement schedule, they've chose to go ahead and follow through with that this year. Some of those folks made purchases in January and February prior to COVID actually happening. And for us to be able to go back and tell them, hey, your one-year warranty that I told you about from the manufacturer when you bought this piece of equipment has now been made a five-year warranty. It has been a great way to just solidify their choice. Now, they know that my team and the CDS folks are going to take care of him and that we stand behind everything that we sell and we service. But just to have the added affirmation from the manufacturer that says, you know what, we got your back for five years. It really speaks volumes. From the customers, their response has been overwhelmingly positive. As a clinician, I've used almost everything on the market and have never seen a manufacturer step up to back their product like this. Well, hopefully it'll put kind of a value to a lot of these products. And I know that Vitalograph was looking at the repair uh, ratio and it was way down and it was a kind of a no-brainer to step it up and offer a five-year warranty. So that definitely is a great selling feature for our products and definitely will help people down the line when they do invest in new products. They see that that is going to be something that gives them a peace of mind, that they've got a good product that they can rely on. So let's talk about training. As our national training partner in the U.S., can you tell me how you've been involved in this? And this is kind of a first for our podcast that we're announcing a new online training program and you were involved in it. Indeed, I was. So as a national training partner with Vitalograph, we've been talking about training and training not only in my territory, but across the the entire United States for a little over a year now. I'm really looking at how we're going to best serve customers. And as a clinician, I have the heart of a teacher. I love to sit down with individuals one-on-one and help them to understand really how exciting pulmonary function can be and how to apply that to the care that they provide to the patient. However, I will say that it's very costly. There's not enough of me to go around. There's not enough of our trainers to go around. And then there's also a logistics factor there. So trying to bring a trainer on site can sometimes be very frustrating, trying to get all of your clinicians in one spot, and then you have a break in your workflow and who's going to cover and fill holes. And so there's a number of issues there. And the same is true even prior to to COVID when we did remote training. So we would do web-based training for institutions who maybe just needed a refresher on a device or who needed to train a large group, but they only had a small pocket of time. And, And I will say that there's always a technical glitch on somebody's side, no matter how well prepared you are. And so while that works, there's still, there had to be something better. And so we've been looking and trying to figure out what's the best way to present the information so that a learner can learn on their schedule, on their time, So the Spire Tutor was born. The Spire Tutor is great because we take some really complex information and we break it down and we present that in a way that's a very blended presentation. So if a seasoned clinician like myself needed training, I could hop in and we can grab the training that we needed, but not be bored out of our minds. Um, and then for, you know, for someone who's new to spirometry or maybe a new grad, they're not super confident in their skills and abilities. The Spire Tutor allows them to dig a little deeper. 
So we present information in multiple formats. In a way, the brain can absorb that. And it's just a great tool, I feel like. So one of the features that I love about it from the clinical perspective, I always had to do my training, but I was literally on call. I'm having to answer the phone or having to see a patient when they came in or answer my pager when it went off. And you always get interrupted. So if a clinician is in that situation and they're doing their training, they can always pause. And the system is great. Even if they pause and they log out completely, it will hold their spots. And when they return to their training module, they can pick up literally right where they left off. So I can't really say too much more, but we'll be rolling it out later this year. Amanda's been working on this quite quite a bit of her time and has done a, a remarkable job. As you know, that you know, a lot of the universities before this pandemic, they had online classes. And I don't know about you, but I, I went back to school when I was in my 40s and got my master's degree. And I, I have yet taken an online class before, and it's very convenient. I've demoed the product, and you're exactly right. I've demoed product at clinics, and there's a lot of questions. But the people that I demo to are sometimes layman people. They, they don't know much about spirometry. They're required to uh, do a test for the doctor because he's so busy. And this program really does a good job on educating everybody about our product and how it works. And it's exciting. I think this is going to be something that is going to be a mainstay for all our products. Tell them the process of going through it. I mean, like you said, that they can stop and, and start at their convenience. But what other features that is provided on the Spire Tutor? Not only can a user start and stop in the process, which is very, very helpful, especially if you're learning something and you maybe need to take notes or you have to get up and you're interrupted. But I really love the fact that you can use the Spiro Tutor not only for training, but to review a process. So for example, I need to change the flow head on my intuitive or my micro device. I can just take off the old flow head and put the new one on there, right? Well, not exactly. So there's a process to get the device to recognize this is a new flow head and you want to document that you changed your flow head for some of your quality measures. Really the user can say, okay, well, oh, I remember that. When I did my initial training, that's in the quality course. And so I'm gonna go back to that. I've got my device and my new flow head. I'm gonna sit here, I'm gonna follow along and I'm literally gonna go through step by step. So in the system, we have not only have videos, but we have interactions for the learner to really follow along. Literally, we're going to take you through step by step, click by click, so that you're not going to get lost. And so some of those things that you don't have to do very often, maybe some maintenance things or like replacing your flow head um, that you don't have to do every day, the material is there for the learner to go back and reaccess. And so I do love that. And not only does the system help to increase your awareness and confidence in doing spirometry and using your device, but it also has a competency element. So as a department director, maybe I've got a huge staff of maybe 30 plus and we have competency courses that we have to go through every year and I have to document that. So what the Spiro Tutor has, after a learner completes a course or a learning path, they will be awarded a certificate. And so the certificate is accessible at any time, even a year later, the, the user needs to learn it, log in and grab that certificate so they can document that they did their continuing education or their competency piece for their organization. 
Uh, it can be emailed, um, downloaded as a PDF, and it can also be shared on social media. So you can tweet that I just finished my learning path for my NUMA track or post that up on LinkedIn as um, one of the courses that you have completed professionally. Great, great. Well, Amanda, thank you for being on our podcast. And again, job well done on the Spire Tutor. And, and I appreciate all the effort that you put into that. And I'm sure there'll be more information coming out on that on our website and out into the field later this year. So do you have anything else to add? Not really. I think we covered everything. Thanks, Mark. This has been fun.